Thank you for downloading our podcast. We are tempted to pursue a more tangible religion. We can fall into a trap and think we need more than Christ. But Hebrews assures us that Christ is all we need. Join us as we study Hebrews to learn more about the great Melchizedekian priest who presides in heaven. One of the rich things that the Reformation uh, rediscovered and laid out for us is the intention of the priesthood of all believers, that we are all saints of Christ. When we think about that, it's not that the church declares us to be saints after doing a certain amount of works, but we are saints as we are redeemed in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes these things can become so rote or so traditional that we actually take this concept for granted. We just think, well, we're saints. This is what it means to be reformed. Uh, That's a rich blessing. When you think about sainthood and the intention in Scripture, it's a rather profound declaration of God dwelling in the midst of of his people. And this is what Hebrews is beginning to develop in chapter 3, that we're moving from this talk of Christ and his significance to now the author of Hebrews starting to, to apply this home to us rather than just saying, hey, don't drift away, to the author of Hebrews calling to our attention, do you see the riches of what you have in your Redeemer? And so when we look at Hebrews 3, we we can really ask the question of this house that God is building. Obviously, we find in chapter 3, Moses being the custodian or caretaker of the house, Christ being the builder of the house. We can ask the question of what is the house and why is this so significant for us? What does this fundamentally have to do with us being saints and priests of the Most High as a redeemed people. So as we consider this, we'll see first the apostle, the builder, secondly, and lastly, the confidence that we have. And so let's begin with the apostle. Notice how Hebrews, as we said, we can classify this sort of as a a moral exhortation. Uh, I would say there's a very high probability uh, this was a letter or a sermon that was preached in a synagogue of Rome, at least intended uh, for that purpose. And as we, we hear that, we hear of this as a moral exhortation. We have this wonderful declaration of us being called holy brothers. And again, this is why I, I don't think this is the Apostle Paul who wrote this. The Apostle Paul would have said the saints and most likely Rome, uh, but that's not what it says. It calls us holy brothers. Now, a temptation here is we hear holy brethren, you say, okay, well, he's talking about saints. We, we move on. We get that. But he calls us brothers. Now, when you think of brothers in the book of Hebrews, this, this has some significance. Hebrews 2, verse 11, we have Christ being the one that he calls us brothers. There's an identity of Christ with his people that he's unashamed to call us brothers. We have Hebrews 2, verse 12, that we have covered in the past. And this is a citation of Psalm 22. 
Remember in this citation, it's in the context of the congregation. So Christ being identified with his people. We have 2 verse 17 of Christ being made like his brothers. And so when we're called holy brothers, the author of Hebrews is now with the therefore drawing implications of this saying, listen, you're not just worshipers of a God. You are not just individuals. You are not just church members. You are set apart by the holy God identified in Christ Jesus. This is taking us as a sinful people prone to wander, prone to drifting, and reorienting us and re-anchoring us. The author is saying, listen, holy brothers, you are set apart unto Christ. Now he identifies who we are. So we say, okay, holy brothers, I get it, we're set apart unto Christ. But he wants us to understand we share in a heavenly calling. Now again, superficially, we can say, well, Christ is one who has come and has secured heaven. And he has. And what a rich blessing that is. But we can so often think of this heavenly calling as something that's um, ethereal, just purely spiritual. And so sometimes when we uh, talk about Hebrews, or sometimes people lay out typology in Hebrews, we can think of typology as almost this Platonic ideal where, uh, trying not to get too abstract here, but basically making it very simple that Christ dwells in this world of ideas, this spiritual disembodied state that's the ideal of human existence. Down here is an inferior existence of physical, tangible things. The problem with that is that's not what Hebrews is teaching us. And especially when we look, for instance, at Isaiah 6, I mean, there's an altar there, there's uh, angels who have a physical uh, flesh that's, you know, as Paul says, that's appropriate for a heavenly existence. And so there's actually something that Isaiah sees. He's called into heaven in the flesh. So there's a physical place. So when we think of typology in, in Hebrews, I think it's, Helpful to use this analogy because we, as uh, creatures who have been created in the image of God, do something very similar. Uh, we can think in terms of how we produce things, right? We think of, I mean, my experience it would be in the automobile industry. You, you think about just being familiar with this. What do they do? Well, you start with a sketch. You eventually make a little model. Uh, as they make a little model, they would do some testing, test some aerodynamics, maybe put it in a little wind tunnel and see how the air flows over it, put it on different people's desks, have them look at it and say, well, the car needs to be tweaked this way and that way. Eventually, as they make this model, they build it into the reality. So if you take the model and the reality and you put them next to each other, you can say, oh, I see the correlation. I see how that smaller model is this reality or this prototype? Again, coming from the Hebrew. So when we take this into the book of Hebrews, we say, well, then what, what's the significance of this? Well, we have to get at the theology of the temple, the theology of the tabernacle, the theology of Israel, the theology of Jerusalem, that the intention for us to understand as holy brothers sharing in a heavenly calling 
means that these models that show God literally dwelling with his people as these smaller scale replicas are going to have a correlation to the heavenly glory. In other words, when John speaks of the new heavens and the new earth or the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, Peter speaking of the new heavens, new earth, that there's going to be this larger scale of what Israel was supposed to be. So when the author of Hebrews speaks of this heavenly calling, we're identified as those who are holy brothers. He's saying, be conscious of where you're going. It's not that those models were necessarily sinful, but those models were not the reality or the prototype. The prototype, the, the reality, the production model is the one that God has reserved for us in heaven. Those smaller replicas are not the full glory. So the author of Hebrews is not telling us we're going to do away with all tangible realities of God. It's rather a refocus and orientation. Don't look to the models. Look to the reality to where you are going. We say, okay, so we're going to this physical place where we're going to arrive in a glorified state in the presence of God really communing with him physically, seeing him, worshiping him as his people. How do we know we will arrive here? Well, this is where, in these verses, Hebrews uses a strange identification of Christ Jesus. He refers to him as an apostle. High priest, not necessarily strange, but apostle. This is the only place in Scripture where Jesus Christ is identified as an apostle. We think of the Apostle Paul. We think of the, the one sent to testify to the reality of Christ being raised from the dead. But Jesus Christ as an apostle, what does this mean? Well, this language, if you're a Jewish hearer, you would most likely think back to the Septuagint, remember the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and you think to Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, where in Exodus 3, Moses is apostled. I know that's bad English, but that's a way of bringing this into the language, that Moses is apostled to go to Egypt. In other words, he's sent to go to Egypt. It's the same verb, same intention that's going on there with Moses. So it's calling to our attention here an introduction, a recollection. Think back to the Exodus. What's going on in the Exodus? Oh, Moses was sent, sent on a particular mission. But if we also think back to the Exodus, there's something that Moses sees as inferior within himself. He says, I, I can't speak. You need to send someone else with me. So he sends Aaron, the priest. So we have now two men who go sent by God to interact with Pharaoh. The identification here of Jesus Christ, not only does he bring us beyond the replicas or the models to the reality in the presence of God. But he's the one who's sent from God on his mission, and he is the one who is also the high priest. So right here we're saying, okay, we understand this concept of where we began in Hebrews of Christ being the incarnate word, the embodiment of the promise, right here, sent from heaven, and 
Christ being the high priest. So it's not Moses and Aaron going as servants sent by God, but we have a clear designation of Jesus Christ not going rogue, not taking upon himself some mission to undermine someone else. As Jesus Christ sent on this mission as the inspired incarnate word of God, the true word of God in his pure form, the action of God, and as high priest to secure us in a heavenly calling. So right here in verse 1, there's a lot of profound theology. I mean, this is the one we confess. So the author of Hebrews again saying, you still confess this, right? This is your belief. This is your, con- your conviction. We say, yes, yes, we believe this. We, we confess this. So we say, okay, right here, we could stop with a rather profound uh, concept that, that's going on. But it leaves us with a question. Does this mean that Moses is inferior? Does it mean that Moses' word that he spoke is not a true word? Now that's, that's a question where our minds can go. And you can understand the people receiving this letter going, aha, see, he's not orthodox. He's undermining Moses. He's saying Moses was not a legitimate prophet. And so the author of Hebrews develops this to counteract that. And saying, well, that's not what I'm saying. Let's talk about the contrast of Moses and Christ now. So the author of Hebrews wants to be explicit if anyone is accusing him of undermining Moses. So he says, listen, let's talk about the the builder of the house. You know, Moses himself, he was faithful. Uh, This is what God has commissioned him to do. He did his task and Jesus is faithful. So it's not an issue of which one is more faithful. The issue is both men who came and entered history, Christ as a God-man, Moses as a servant prophet, both were faithful. They did their task. So the author of Hebrews is saying, I'm not calling Moses' orthodoxy or words into question. I want to be clear. Moses was duly commissioned by God sent by God on a legitimate mission. However, the difference is this. Moses is a custodian or the servant in the house. In other words, he serves in the context of the people. He's not above the people. He's one who's commissioned as a leader to serve in the context of the Lord's house. And we have Christ then who is commissioned to serve above the house. And so there's A contrast, Christ builds the house, the one who owns the house, Moses is within the house. Now there's a subtle citation here that's rather significant. And the citation here of Moses in the house is a citation of Numbers 12. And this is a brilliant citation. Because the context of Numbers 12 is where Aaron and Miriam are attacking the integrity of Moses. And they're attacking whether or not Moses is a duly commissioned prophet by God. Is he faithful enough to serve the Lord? Is he faithful? This is what Aaron and Miriam are testing, questioning, challenging. And the Lord responds that Moses is in fact faithful. And he's faithful in all God's house. Now the context of this would be the tent of meeting but we can obviously extend that in the context of the tabernacle, the temple, and these sorts of things where God would be meeting with his people. 
but in particular, Moses going into the house of meeting and being worthy of this. Numbers 12 goes on to speak of God actually speaking to Moses face to face. Now, the reason I say this is a brilliant citation is because the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, this really doesn't matter if I think he has integrity or I think he's duly called. God himself says in the Old Testament, Moses is duly called. So Hebrews is saying, don't, don't think you can pit me against the Old Testament prophets. I affirm what God has said. I believe it and I'm citing it. Moses was a credible man. Moses was duly commissioned by God to be sent to Pharaoh. And so we say, well then, what's the problem? Well, it's not that there's a problem. It's not that there's a competition. This is what Hebrews wants us to understand. It's not Moses or Christ. It's understanding Moses was faithful in his time, in his calling, in what he was commissioned to do. Christ is the one who brings and builds the house together. So Christ, going back to the beginning, remember in the introduction, all things are held together in Christ Jesus. He's a creator of all things. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, Moses spoke of the builder. Moses was commissioned by the builder. Moses has credibility because of the builder. However, we cannot look to the servant, the custodian, uh, which is basically what Moses is, the caretaker of the house. We can't look to him at the expense of the builder of the house. And so Hebrews is saying, look away from the models, look away from the prophet, and look to the substance of what the prophet has said. Don't worship Moses. Worship the one of whom he spoke, the true God and builder of the house. And so we understand then, as his house is built by God, this leaves us with that question and to our last point of our confidence. Because then, then we're left with, okay, so, so what is this house? Uh, what, what does this mean? Is it just meander through this age, don't drift away, and, and you'll arrive at some point. And at some point, you'll, you'll see the blessing of it. But right now, you just kind of stumble. Hebrews is giving us greater assurance than this. Because he wants us to understand right now, we can have confidence in verses 5 and 6. Moses, again, faithful in all God's house as a servant, a caretaker, cared for the people, served his purpose, but was still a human being, not the God-man. And what is Moses' uh, purpose? Well, the purpose of Moses is to speak of what is to come. So again, we think back to Numbers 12, we think of Exodus 3, we think of the Lord giving Moses the words, putting the words in Moses' mouth, speaking to him face to face. Moses is, is not a problem. He's not derelict. He's not somebody that the author of Hebrews is picking on. But he's saying we have to listen to the words of Moses. And what Moses is speaking of is the substance or the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to look to. 
And so he's driving home this point because, again, it seems the struggle in this church is, I want the tangible, I want the sacrifices, I want the altar, I want the temple. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that, that's great. Those things are wonderful. They serve their purpose. But they're the models. We need to move beyond the models and understand the history of Israel. Now he's going to go on to talk about how it's even beyond the tabernacle, how Israel undergoes an exodus, which I'd argue is being introduced here, Moses as the apostle, the exodus event, followed by what? Wilderness wandering. Wilderness wandering is testing. After wilderness wandering is the entrance into the land, which is where the author of Hebrews is going to exhort us in the next section. Right here is being introduced. Moses' words were not the problem. He spoke the word of the Lord. But going on then, why is Christ superior? We know he's faithful over the house, meaning he's a ruler of all, but he's a son. So it's a contrast a lot like the Apostle Paul does in Galatians of a servant and a son. You know, there's equality, but the son is going to have the greater inheritance. So he wants us to understand Christ isn't just the servant. As Christ is sent on a mission, it's not just to talk to Pharaoh or to bring the words of God, but it's to establish the credibility of the prophetic word. And as he, as he goes and he establishes his credibility, Moses, being the caretaker, moves to the one who establishes the word. But now we move to where we are. Because this is where we answer the question, well, what is the house? What is our confidence? Because we have Christ as faithful over God's house as a son. Say, okay, talking about the tent of meeting. Maybe he's talking about the tabernacle. Maybe he's talking about the temple. We can argue these points. But he tells us what he's talking about. He's now applying this to us. And he wants us to understand, let's, let's stop thinking about the, the models and let's think about the implication of Christ being the one who has taken on the flesh, the one who has suffered, the one who is our priest. He's faithful over God's house. And we are his house. Think about the brilliance and the beauty of this statement that we can miss. That right now the Lord is building us into his household. And so the, the house in which Moses served isn't just necessarily the tent of meeting, but it's in the context of Israel. And it's God who has walked with his people throughout their history, and God who has ultimately walked with his people in Christ Jesus, who has gone before us. And so now he's saying that as a Gentile people, we're coming together as members of the house of God. This means that, that when you hear this language, we are temples of the Holy Spirit and these sorts of things. We see ourselves as God's building, as fallen, broken, incomplete individuals as we have covered. Individuals who are prone to wander. Individuals who are prone to drift. Where do we put our hope and return? To the one who is a builder of the house. We return to our priest, the one who is duly sent by God, not merely to bring the word of God, but to establish the word of God as the incarnate word. We turn to the faithful high priest 
who also is one who is appointed to his task to oversee the sanctity of the temple and the worship of God's people. This is the one to whom we look. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, don't think somehow in our current existence we have nothing. Or somehow in our current existence God has just abandoned us. You are the household of God. Now he gives a warning as we find consistent with Hebrews. And he gives this warning of if you hold fast your confession. Again, this sounds rather uh, conditional that if we do something, then God will do something. But remember where we started. Holy brethren, set apart unto the Lord those who are identified with Christ. So it's not so much a conditional reality it's the author of Hebrews saying, listen, if you walk away from who Christ is and you say, I want the tabernacle, I want the models, I want to trust in Moses. The author of Hebrews is saying, it's not Moses or Christ. Moses spoke of Christ. Moses himself looked to Christ. So if you're saying, I want to go back to Moses, I'm not the one who's pitting Moses against Christ. You are. And if you say you're going to worship Moses over Christ, essentially, you're losing your faith. You're not having life. You don't have the substance of your redemption. You're denying your Redeemer. This is a serious thing. But notice that he says the boasting of our hope. Now the hope, we, we can think, in our society, it's hard to bring this into English because when, when we think of hope, it's kind of like a Hail Mary pass where, where we hope somehow something good comes from it. But, but we don't know. It's sort of like maybe there's a 10% probability this is going to turn out okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll try. I hope so. That's not the force of this. Hope is something that is certain, something that is grounded. It's something that is future. And so it's not... I just hope it works out at the final judgment uh, when Christ comes again. No. This is the author of Hebrews saying, Christ has established your certain end. This is your assurance. It's probably a better way of translating this. It's your assurance, your confidence, your peace. And so it's not boasting in my faith. It's not boasting in my confidence. It's boasting in the reality that Christ Jesus is a perfect high priest sent by God, building us into his house to serve him, to bring us together, leading us through our wilderness experience, being our sympathetic priest who can understand the, the pain and the struggle of temptation, yet he is without sin being the one who is leading us on this wilderness sojourn to glory. In other words, it's not some Hail Mary pass. It's not some I hope that I follow the road map and end up at the right place. I know for myself I'd be lost in a moment. But it's the reality of knowing that Christ truly, truly is guiding, leading as a perfect priest, being involved in our lives, building us together currently as his house, making us fit for him to dwell in our midst and us worthy to dwell in his presence 
and glory. And so when we ask that question then, what is God building? What's the significance of being called a saint? God is building us right now into his household. He is working on us. He is conforming us. He is leading us. We shouldn't view Christ as seated in heaven, watching the clock, waiting for the next moment when he returns. This is the assurance that right now in our lives, he is at work. He is bringing us to glory. He is sanctifying us. This isn't some optimistic pie in the sky as we can understand hope, but it's a confidence because he's not the custodian or the caretaker of the house. He's the builder of the house, which means as a skilled builder, he takes his pieces, he takes his boards, he takes the bricks, he takes the mortar, and he puts them together. That's the picture we have of our God, building us, perfecting us, conforming us, working in us. This is why we boast in the assurance that we will arrive in glory. Let us then see ourselves as members of God's house. Let us see ourselves as a people being built together, sojourning to glory, not being a people who are meandering aimlessly, but a people have been redeemed by a perfect high priest who's content to be identified with his brothers and called holy brethren. Let our confidence be Christ, our Redeemer, our Lord, the great apostle and high priest of our faith. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archived sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.